Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious lolly Focus Pops or lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The promise of America is being squandered. How are we going to restore our nation back to a sensible, citizen-centric government? Welcome to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Joyce is a businesswoman, not a politician. And she's here to offer pragmatic, possible, and postpartisan solutions for the 21st century. Now, here's your host for Reimagine America, Joyce Cordy. Welcome to the Reimagine America Radio Hour. I'm a businesswoman, not a politician. I fix problems, I don't make them. While I herald the bipartisan passage of the so-called bipartisan infrastructure plan by the House of Representatives this past Friday afternoon, I'm gonna herald it as progress. It is the largest infrastructure investment in three quarters of a century. Nothing nearly this ambitious, comprehensive or nationwide, has been undertaken since the Eisenhower administration's interstate highway initiative in the 1950s. But I'm concerned about what comes next. The national debt already exceeds $30 trillion. And despite all the rosy predictions, it's likely that the trillion dollar infrastructure spending package is neither fully paid for with the proposed revenue generators, and it's not likely to achieve the revenue and competitive growth targets its funding relies on. And I say that for two reasons. First, the plan funds too many legacy technologies and projects, too many 20th century tools. Second, It fails to integrate the shared objectives of an infrastructure renewal and necessary climate change mitigation into a single cohesive and cost-effective shot in the arm for the 21st century American economy. So just to keep things clear in while I go through this argument, 
let's say for the rest of this podcast that infrastructure refers to the bipartisan infrastructure plan. Climate refers to the climate mitigation, about a third of the not yet passed Build Back Better bill that is awaiting scoring, and she says that in air quotes, by the Congressional Budget Office and has not yet passed either House of Congress. So with that caveat, let's start our discussion of why I'm concerned about too much legacy and not enough cohesion, integration, and strategic thinking. Let's start with $39 billion to repair and upgrade existing railroad infrastructure and rolling stock along the Northeast Corridor from Washington, D.C.'s metro area to Boston. Well, that's a personal priority of President Biden. But if you're not a Northeast Corridor rail commuter, you'd be forgiven if you asked. After decades and decades of subsidies, why isn't Amtrak self-supporting? Why don't ticket sales, freight rates, concessionaires who provide services on the trains, local sales tax, why don't those at least make Amtrak a break-even solution? And why, in heaven's name, given the reality that Amtrak depends on annual congressional subsidies, why would anyone believe that a single infusion of capital will in any way change the long-term equation? And I can answer that question by saying, in its current form, in Amtrak's current form, nothing will change. It's not a one-time infusion of capital. And you know what? It isn't even a, an attempt to upgrade to high-speed rail. If you've ever ridden the Northeast Corridor rail uh, system, it's an old-fashioned chug, chug, chug train. Takes about three and a half, four hours from Washington to New York. You can drive it a lot faster. So... In addition to that $39 billion of questionable spending, California's newspapers today are full of rah-rah stories suggesting that some of the money that will come to California could be used to resurrect California's high-speed rail corridor. You know, that's the multi-billion dollar over budget well past its expected finish time rail line that we Californians like to refer to affectionately as the fast train from nowhere to no place. We could use those same billions of dollars to complete the expansion and totally total electrification of our urban corridor commuter rail lines to hopefully really possibly remove cars from our congested freeways in both the Bay Area and the Los Angeles Basin. But that might be too rational, folks. And more climate mitigation. Why don't we try more climate, climate mitigation? Certainly no with the forest fire and other issues that we're experiencing, the terrible drought. We need to think about climate. So why don't we, instead of putting more money into something that's already failed, 
why shouldn't we take some of the climate mitigation money and use it in some experimental projects like Hyperloop or monorail or people movers that would ease polluting congestion within the urban corridors and the urban centers? Probably we could do a small hyperloop, a monorail across from um, south to north or east to or west to east in Silicon Valley in less time than it would complete take to complete the rail line. No one is convinced California's would ever use if in fact it can get built. And again, it's not the hyper fast trains that we know the Chinese and the Japanese have been building all this time while we've been stymied over um, building this small portion of, of, an, of a rail line in the middle of nowhere. There's a billion dollars in the infrastructure bill to pay for planning and designing of new street grids parks and other public facilities to reconnect existing poor communities that were previously divided by highway and expressway construction. Now, I think that's a laudable goal and, and I certainly could point to some specific geographic points where that has happened, um, but it wouldn't be, you know, it, it's laudable, okay? But wouldn't we be better off? Wouldn't it be both more cost effective and a much more significant improvement in the quality of life for the residents of these once separated communities if we integrated the redesign around new urban villages? So what exactly what do I mean? If we combined planning dollars with the infrastructure bills, water pipe replacement dollars, and then added climate mitigation home retrofit dollars, insulation, new windows and doors, and then sprinkled in some locally funded paint and energy efficient appliances, landscaping and, and energy saving CO2 absorbing new shade trees. Well, all of this installed by the new climate conservation core that's envisioned in the climate mitigation funding. Then if we were looking forward, we'd wrap those improvements with already existing opportunity zones to encourage private development of affordable housing, consumer businesses, and nearby clean manufacturing and related service businesses. By combining several silos of federal taxpayer dollars to create the urban village, we'd have a fully integrated community with homes, jobs, services, education, primary health care, safe, walkable neighborhoods with planned access to public transit and well-maintained streets. The money is there by combining infrastructure and climate mitigation legislation to set an example in these poorer communities that could become a model for private development. What if when the climate legislation is passed, California combined expanded urban transit dollars 
with new rural 5G internet access infrastructure dollars deployed throughout California's Central Valley, all the way down to the nowhere train terminus in Fresno. And then Fresno, which is a reasonably large city actually, could work with the federal government to identify opportunity zones in the Fresno area where Google, Facebook, and others, you know, even light industry could build tax advantaged campuses, or in the case of Google and Facebook, satellite campuses. They could attract young families with privately financed housing in well-designed workable urban villages. Villages that would include rooftop top solar and other energy upgrades from the climate dollars designed into a new statewide electric utility grid, which is built with infrastructure bill grants and loans, and which eliminates the risk of, of long distance transmission lines that cause forest fires that are now larger than the states of Rhode Island and Connecticut. An urban village would be such a positive alternative to what was originally the plan for hours long, I mean, a couple of hours long high-speed train rides from living in Fresno to Google in San Jose at a clip of about $125 a day. You can tell why they abandoned that plan. It's not only are we not going to build that rail line, but who would pay $125 a day in current day, dollar days, probably twice that in five years, to commute every day, four hours a day by train? Doesn't make any sense, does it? So instead... The latest plan for Google expansion is to build 13-story concrete apartment complexes near the San Jose train station, a density that is appropriate to Shanghai. And how would you like to be on the 10th, 11th, 12th, or 13th floor when the San Andreas Fault decides to move a little bit? If you can envision building your new manufacturing facility in an opportunity zone in Fresno, California, then you can also envision a similar community in the hollows of West Virginia or the lakes of Northern Michigan. But as of today, November 10th, when different cabinet secretaries are setting off to sell the infrastructure bill, None of these linkages are being mentioned, considered, or addressed. And the consequence of that will be both waste, wasted money, and failure, unrealized hopes and dreams, and pro unrealized promises. Because every business person worth their salt knows a project, even if it limps along to eventual uh, it made a little money success, it costs a whole bunch more to deliver that project if it's done in pieces rather than holistically. And that caveat, that axiom is true, whether you're installing new PVC pipe to replace lead in 
our drinking water systems or an enterprise software solution. One last example of the benefit that's being missed by not combining infrastructure and climate dollars is the electric power infrastructure itself. We have seen examples across the country of the fragility of our power infrastructure and the economic consequences of those failures total hundreds of billions of dollars, maybe a trillion over a decade. In fact, last year, in 2020, 2021 budget terms, it was $99 billion of direct economic consequence as, as a result of the fragility of our power infrastructure. It's old, it's inadequate, it's insecure from both nature, nature and cyber, and it was built to transmit energy from sources we no longer want to depend on. We can't just build our inf electrical infrastructure transmission system bet build back better. We've got to build it forward toward the end of the 21st century because we're going to have new energy sources that come from different locales. There'll be less hydro from California and that may trade up for more wind generated power from Wyoming. There'll be new energy supplies that are more volatile. Wind and solar are what we call non-dispatchable power. You can't just dial them up when you need them. It's called non-dispatchable for that very reason. You can't dial it up like coal or natural gas or when it's available water. You can't just turn on the hydro generator and push the water into the forebay and say, okay, we generated all that power and tonight we'll push the water back into the reservoir if the water isn't there to begin with. So non-dispatchable power, you've got when the wind blows or the sun shines, you've got to capture that energy and store it so that you can use it at a different time. And here's the problem. We do have battery technology to allow you as an individual to store a couple days solar power in a battery um, environment, but we don't have the battery technology to store big quantities of, of large non-dispatchable power yet. We'll get there, but as we are in embarking on this reimagining of our infrastructure or rebuilding of our electrical infrastructure instead of reimagining it, okay, we don't have the battery technology that we will need to store enough non-dispatchable power to stop using, let's say, natural gas or, God forbid, coal. So, Here's the question. How do we build a grid that can transmit to a future state while, at, and by that I don't mean a geographic state, a future state of energy, okay, while at the very same time it keeps the lights on with legacy power technology for the interim? How do we build that grid? 
so that when we can move totally to solar and wind and hydro and other sources that we haven't really, that we're afraid of, like nuclear, um, <clears throat> how do we transition from where we are today, needing to keep the lights on with legacy power to that future state? And before you start to rebuild our, our long-distance transmission state-to-state -state infrastructure for electricity and, and, and high-volume transmission, we need to imagine what that future state is going to look like. And there is no funding in the infrastructure bill to do that reimagining. Part of the answer to the question of how do we do that leads to some more questions like, will large utilities be the primary source of power to our homes and businesses or a secondary backup system to more locally generated power in let's say 10 or 20 years? And once designed, how will stable high voltage transmission lines be built for safety and security? And oh, by the way, the money that's in the infrastructure bill is not nearly enough to build this, this new interstate uh, infrastructure out. So who is going to pay for it? And how will we ensure that it's equitable? So we need to take a step back and answer all those questions holistically before any federal or state agency spends any taxpayer money. And by the way, um, we've been talking about this for a while out here in the West because we do a lot of rooftop solar. So those people pay a couple of bucks to connect to the, to the uh, large transmission lines, but they, and they may even push power into the big transmission lines but they don't pay the rate payer um, large utility bills that would allow local utility companies to build this new infrastructure. So we've got to figure this out before we start spending any money um, about who will pay for it and how do we do it safely and securely and how do we build in the flexibility to keep the lights on to in 2022 and 2023 to have shifted to a new model of energy generation by 2030. But none of these vexing or expensive questions have even been discussed publicly or addressed in the published language of the infrastructure bill. And we haven't seen the language of the climate change legislation. It's $550 billion and what they're telling us is trust us. Do you trust Congress for with $550 billion? And therein lies the fundamental problem and my biggest concern. Last Friday, James Clyburn, the Democratic House Whip and the senior member of the South Carolina delegation, came to the microphones to urge passage of the infrastructure package, giving publicly the same message that he had given in the caucus meeting. He thinks of it in terms of his constituents. 
infrastructure spending is good for the economy of South Carolina. It will expand the port of Charleston. South Carolina's growing international auto assembly business will grow as a, as a consequence or a opportunity created by expanding the port of Charleston. Unlike so many others in Congress, Clyburn understands that economic development and social development are two sides of the same coin, and they both begin with the integration of efforts that will bring tangible results to his constituents and will serve as a model for other locations. If only more of his colleagues understood that their job was to deliver for the American people rather than to preserve their own power, the bill passed on Friday would have been $1.75 trillion, combining the infrastructure and climate mitigation funding into one whole 21st century economic package. You see, the reality is, it isn't about whether Democrats or Republicans in Congress wins, when it's the bottom line. The bottom line is, do the American people now and into the future win? We haven't yet, but maybe we can if we make it clear to our representatives that we won't settle for building back better, but demand the careful use of those trillions of our dollars to guarantee that we are building for the future. Call your representative or your senator before this once-in-a-century opportunity is just another wasted piece of government bureaucracy and another trillion dollars on the national debt. Thanks for listening to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. You can learn more at reimagineamerica.org. Got a comment or an idea for a future show? Email Joyce at reimagineamerica.org or find her on Twitter at Joyce Cordy or at Reimagine Radio. Take a minute now and go to reimagineamerica.org. Join the forum. We'd love to hear your thoughts. If you love the podcast, donate and tell others. You can invite Joyce to speak at your next meeting or conference through reimagineamerica.org. And finally, Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast at ricochet.com or c-sweetnetwork.com. That's c-sweetnetwork.com. Together, we really can reimagine America. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-sweetradio.com.